the towns and the villages on his way to Jerusalem. We're in Luke chapter 13. I'm going to begin reading in verse 31. And at that time, the Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. And he replied, go tell that fox that I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow and on the third day. And I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep on going today and tomorrow and the next day for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. If you'll turn with me to John chapter 12, we're going to continue on in reading in this narrative and looking at John's in John's gospel of this triumphal entry. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, the next day, the great crowd that had come uh, for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now imagine with me the scene. Jesus has been going through towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand and and giving lessons on what the kingdom of God is like. And here he is just days earlier. He has raised Lazarus from the dead. Seemingly the day before, he is anointed with oil and has perfume and fragrance all over him. The people have heard of these great, miraculous things that has happened through Jesus and by this power given to Jesus. He's being questioned by the Pharisees, but he's teaching in all these towns and villages. And people have been preparing and waiting for this day, the Messiah, to come back and rule and reign and establish his rule on earth. And here we are. Jesus, on a hillside, overlooking Jerusalem, climbs on the back of a colt. Now, in those days, the modern warfare tank, the Sherman tank in this first century era, would have been a horse. Armies were measured by the, by the amount of horses, the amount of cavalry they had, you know, in their arsenal. And Jesus climbs on the back of a young donkey, a colt. For his procession into Jerusalem. Again, the people are expecting a king to come and rule and reign. And here is a king with seemingly no army, but yet one being raised up all around him as people are worshiping and chanting and excited about him potentially being the Messiah. And I think there's something extremely significant to realize why Jesus chose and climbed on the back of a colt. And I think there's a profound statement that needs to be understood in that. And the reality is, I think Jesus is making a statement. He says the kingdom of God will be ushered in through humility. The kingdom of God will be ushered in through humility. Not with strength, not with power, not with pride, not with spears and swords. The kingdom of God 
will be ushered in in humility. And so as he climbs on this colt, he begins his procession into the city. Now imagine with me the reality of what is taking place. The people look and they see this Messiah before them and they wonder what is to take place next. They expect and have the full clear vision that the Roman rule is about to be kicked out of Jerusalem. And that, again, a Jew will lead the people and govern Jerusalem. This is their hope. This is their desire. This is what they understood the prophecy to mean. And the reality is what we have is we have the creator of the world. A person that was with the father, even before there was anything. There was silence. An eternity, seemingly, of silence. Until the father said, let there be light. And began this great work of creation. And he spoke and everything that we know came to be. And here he stands on a hillside, overlooking Jerusalem, knowing that this is the place that prophets go to die. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to come. Gather you in like a chick would cover its hens under its wings. How I have longed to come and protect you, but you were not willing. And here is the God of the universe, the creator of all things, that enters down, enters, goes down this hill to enter Jerusalem, knowing that he's choosing to go and to die. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that, uh, that you have a love for us that we're just coming to beginning to understand. And there's so much more yet that you want to show with us, show us. There's so much more, Lord, that you have to teach us. There's so much more that you have in store for these lives that you've given us, Lord. You're the creator of all things. And you stood on a hillside and say, yes, I choose to go and die. Lord, open our minds, eyes to see you for who you really are. And to welcome all that you come to bring. In your rule, in your reign. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The good news we call the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. It's good news for you. It's good news for me. It's good news for our neighbor. If it's not good news for everybody, then it's not good news. As the good news becomes, because the good news of Jesus Christ is a thing, it is a living spirit that comes and lives lives inside of you and me. And that is good news. It comes and brings life and brings life in a way that we can't experience outside of knowing Jesus Christ and learning his his good news. As uh, this coming week, I'm um, was or this past week, I was talking to my 10 year old son, my oldest, Andrew. He's going to get baptized next week on Easter. And so we're talking about what baptism means and explaining to him what this looks like. And as I'm talking to Andrew, I'm, I'm telling him, you know, and I'm kind of making this up off the top of my head in the moment. But, you know, obviously, as a pastor, I've got to know what baptism is. But in trying to explain it to a 10 year old, you know, it takes on a new form. 
And I'm, I'm explaining it to him, and I'm saying, Andrew, you're, by being baptized, you know, Pastor Steve's going to ask you a few different things, and you're going to say why you're being baptized. Well, you need to have a plan of what you're going to say. And you need to know why you're being baptized, why you want to be baptized, right? But what this represents, Andrew, is that your life until that moment, until you go down into the water, you've lived primarily for you, for Andrew. Everything that you've lived for was for yourself. But you're in an age now and you've desired and you've given your heart to Jesus Christ and you want to have a new life. And that's what this baptism represents, that when Pastor Steve dunks you under the water and brings you back up, it's your sins, it's your old life dying to, going down like into a grave, but coming up washed clean, refreshed and renewed to live a different life. And that life is not a life about you. That life is a life that's surrendered to God. Just last week when... um, we had this we had this conversation on uh, on Tuesday, I think it was of this week, last Sunday. Uh, evidently, there, the, the children were going through a lesson on humility. I understand that the teachers actually washed the kids feet last week. And I took my boys Sunday afternoon uh, out to the golf range and we were hitting balls. And Will, my youngest, who's eight years old, you know, is just like a machine gun. He can just sit there and whack them away. And, you know, he runs out of balls in a hurry. It's going to cost me a lot to keep taking him out there. But Andrew was a little more methodical. You know, he wanted to make sure he did everything, you know, just right. And I'm kind of working with him, giving him this little lesson, right? And so he gets kind of toward the end of, you know, the balls that he had to hit, and he's getting kind of tired. And I said, well, just wait. Just save those last, last half dozen, you know. And so then I go hit my golf balls, right? I can't hit golf balls while they're hitting golf balls. That would just be dangerous, right? So then I hit golf balls, and they watch me. And then Andrew goes to hit his last six, right? Um. I'm not trying to be belittle Andrew, but Andrew's all about Andrew, you know, and we Andrew hit the next five balls and Will was out of balls and Will was complaining that he didn't have more. And Andrew looked at Will and he he teed teed up a ball and he said, here, Will, you can have the last one. And as a dad, knowing my son's personality, I was like, whoa, heaven has just moved. What has gotten into Andrew? And so Will got to go have one last shot, right? And I find out later in the day that Andrew had learned a lesson about humility in Sunday school and was practicing what he had learned. I'm going to choose to be humble and let Will hit the last ball, right? So as I'm, as I'm talking to Andrew now two days later about baptism and explaining that when you come up, out of the water, you're, you're, you're making a choice and you're making this choice for, that are people are standing around and watching you do this. That you're making a public declaration that when I come up, I'm going to live my life for God. Not for me. But I'm going to live my life for God and for other people. The things that he has for me to do for other people and for his kingdom. And I asked Andrew, I said, Andrew, when you chose to let Will hit the last ball... Did it feel good or did it feel bad? He said, oh, it felt good. I said, there's a scripture. John 10, 10. Jesus is teaching and he says, the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. He comes about to bring death. But Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. 
Do you realize, Andrew, that in living your life for God and not living for you anymore, when this is a significant thing, that when you come up out of the water, you're saying, I want to live life for you, God. And God loves you so much. Jesus loves you so much that he's paid this penalty for you that you have this opportunity. And he will place his spirit inside of you and bring life into you to want to make those choices all the time if you'll let him. And you just told me it felt good. It felt more alive for me to let Will have the last ball. And Andrew, I'm excited for you. Because that means this is what you get to do the rest of your life. The creator of the universe stood on a hillside overlooking Jerusalem. Know that this meant me going down into death. But he'll be raised up again to be able to give life to you and to me. Now, the real question and everything else that I have in store to share with us this morning and for us to discuss and to, and to figure is to wrestle with this thing within you and me that chooses not to live this life that Christ paid this incredible price for us to have available. How is it that we choose to live this life missing out on all the life that God would fully desire for us to have? By making this transition from living from self, for self, about self. I got to protect all the golf balls that I have because I want to hit all, all that I can. Compared to the life that comes from living for God in his kingdom. He has something so much more planned. In understanding this, we, I want to dive into just a couple pieces, Okay. It helps kind of unpack this. And so there are two type, two forms of life that we see in the New Testament. There's a bios life that if you're familiar with biology will make sense. There's a bios life. It's the life that I'm looking at as I see you. It is your physical, biological life, right? And in Scripture, there is something more than just bios life. In the spiritual realm, we have a zoe life. We have a life that can come fill this body that we are living in. And have a life different than just a bios life. If you understand that, then you can understand where someone can be physically alive, yet spiritually dead. Right? But Jesus came so that we could have life. So that we could have this Zoe life. Not, and I'm not talking about a life, just a life that is eternal. Yes, that is the Zoe life in that context. Jesus said that I came that you might have life and have it to the full here and now. That you're not just living for your bios life anymore. You're now living in this Zoe life. You now have the ability to have this life come live with inside of you and have a whole new purpose and a whole new meaning and a whole new life than what you've had before. This is good news. This is good news for you and me. This is good news for the world. This didn't exist before Jesus came and he sent the Holy Spirit to come live within us to be that life. The spirit of life to come have his way in our hearts and govern all that our bios life is a part of. 
But see, we have a problem. You and I have grown up before this moment of receiving the Holy Spirit, receiving Jesus Christ, and therefore receiving the Holy Spirit to come live inside of us. We have grown up in this pattern and this understanding of knowing how to live a bios life. And that bios life is much what I described about Andrew before this baptism. That it's a life centered on me. It's a life centered on what I think and what I think will be best, right? But here's one of the realities of life. True facts of life. Anything that has life, whether it's a tree, whether it's a mushroom, whether it's a dog, whether it's an amoeba, whether it's you or me, has to have food in order for life to be sustained. Life needs nutrition. Or else it won't continue to be life. It will die. If you understand the difference in bios life and zoe life and you read the New Testament with this understanding, you'll be amazed at how much more you understand Christ is offering us in this life because he is trying to awaken us and to have this spirit of life take over and consume more of who we are. How does that happen? Well, in large part, a way in which it happens is that we feed the spirit life. We feed this Zoe life. How do we feed the Zoe life? We live our lives in a different way. We live our lives toward the Lord. We live our lives in submission to who God is. We live our lives living out the principles and the teachings that Jesus taught. We live our lives with our hearts focused on the life that Jesus came to bring. And that's the fact that Jesus, you know, this life, this bios life is not about this life. The years that you and I have are not about your bios life. This life is about what is yet to come. So as we if we want to feed this Zoe life, if we want to feed this this spirit, if we want it to have nutrition, then we find ourselves doing things that some would call disciplines that we find ourselves feeding on the word of God. The truths of God, the teachings of God, we find ourselves wrestling with these with these tensions within us that are in conflict with the truths that we find in Scripture. And we make choices to choose to live according to his teaching rather than according to our own minds demands. Now, if you're anything like me, this is not simple. It's simple in concept, but it's incredibly difficult Apart from the Holy Spirit intervening and giving me power to live in this way and teaching me and leading me as a as a discipler, as a as a mentor, as my, you know, karate master, teaching me how to be in devotion to him and doing whatever he asks. I simply, you know, wax on and wax off, you know, and he teaches me what to do. And I trust in him that, okay, I'm not just out here waxing a car. I'm actually this has a purpose, right? But there's that thing within me, you know, that wants to wrestle with, well, why the heck am I washing this car? And that's this bios life trying to grab some nutrition. That it can stay alive, that it can have its way. We continue reading in John's gospel, a few verses down in chapter 12. Jesus then 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 speaks again, he says, verse 25 The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it. 
or eternal life. However, whoever serves, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be also. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came. Father, glorify your name. Jesus is modeling for you and for me what a bio slice very foundation is. As he enters into Jerusalem, fully knowing this is the place that prophets go to die. Yet his heart has compassion for and desires for Jerusalem to have life again in the kingdom. To protect Jerusalem again, protect the people, protect you and me. Right. Jesus has this desire and this plan for us to experience this life. But, you know, before the, the giving of the Holy Spirit, before there was this capacity to really live a Zoe life where the spirit of God is coming and living inside you and me. And that took place at Pentecost. We'll discuss that as we get to it in about 50 days. Right. It took place at Pentecost that the, the spirit of God himself before all creation was there sharing in God's glory with Jesus Christ comes and lives inside of you and me. Jesus has this plan for this to be the reality that is set before us. And he says, if you want to do this, if you want to live this life in me, it's going to mean denying yourself. We see it in Luke chapter nine. Deny yourself daily. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, see, it sounds counterintuitive, right, that you have to die in order to find life. And Jesus explains it in this in this passage of, of, you know, talking about seed. He said, you know, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it will only be one seed. But if it falls into the ground and dies, then look what can spring forth. Look what then can come. Look how much more abundance can take place because one death. Look how much more life can come about. Right. So Jesus is changing the rules on you and me. From this moment forward, because all of life that man knew up to Pentecost was this reality of bios life. The desire to have a life with God, but they, they lived and we live to live for ourselves. That we recognize that this life is about us. This life is about the 70 or 80 or 90 years or whatever we have. And we want to live it for us, for what we think is best, Right. And Jesus is saying, no, I have so much more in store for you. So some of the things that choke out this life, Jesus talks about again in that same parable of the sower, Matthew 13. He says, but these worries, you know, some some seed fell upon the rock and it and it sprang up. But the worries of life and the deceitfulness of money choked it out. There are things that are that want to choke out. The Zoe life that God wants you to have. Primarily, those things, as we see in Scripture, are the concerns and the worries of the world or the deceitfulness of money. And so but the reality is the greatest thing that wants to choke out you living and being on fire and being full of life, that you're living every moment for the glory of the kingdom of God, as Jesus did, as you're following in his footsteps, is that there's this fear that demands this self-preservation. 
There's this fear that won't let go, that does not want to give in fully to what God has in store. And so we hold on to our ration and our reason and our intellect, and we don't want to let those things go. It's called control. It's called control. Anybody guilty of feeling like they need to kind of take control? Right? Back to the Andrew piece of the story. Andrew's living for Andrew, right? He's living in control for Andrew. Producing life or death. Compared to living in the fullness of the Spirit where you're living to glorify God. And God is inviting your heart to be alive by welcoming humility and by living my life for God and for others. There's this whole nother life, a whole nother dimension that God has in store for you and me as we choose to live our lives for God, in God, on behalf of God, and on behalf of our neighbors. He wants to empower us to do something that we're not very good at on our own. And it's called love. Ultimately, Andrew's action to will, yes, it was humility, and yes, it had to be probably help directed at some point, but he's 10. But ultimately, it was an effort to love his brother. Jesus has plans to teach us how to love and to see things in his kingdom that we do not see and that we cannot see as long as our minds are distracted by the bios life, by living for self. That bios life wants to do everything it can to choke out the life that God wants to bring. There's good news in this kingdom. There's good news in this gospel. You see, the good news is that the kingdom of God can come and live inside of you and inside of me. The kingdom of God, it doesn't matter who you are or what, where you've been or what you've done, whether, whether it's Jew or Gentile or slave or free or man or woman or black or white. It doesn't matter who you are in this new kingdom, in this good news of Jesus gospel. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can start afresh, anew, everything being erased, all sins forgiven, pardoned, and that's good news. It especially sounds like good news for those that feel like they've been a billion miles away from Christ and recognize that Jesus came and died on a cross that we can have life abundance, a lot of memories of life erased, and life to live forward to, accepted in a community, not for who we've been, but for who we desire to be and to be like. That's good news. If you're a criminal, if you're a murderer, if you're a sinner, if you're a liar, if you're human, this should be good news for you and me. Because God has so much more in store for for us. We recognize that we need forgiveness. We recognize that God wants to live his life through you and me. The good news of the gospel is not that one day we get to go from down here up there. The good news of the gospel is that down there came up there, came down here and up there came down here because he desired to pay a price to redeem all that he created. And with that price that he paid to redeem all that he created, he now invites you and me to be a part of the redemptive process to restore and to renew his creation to be what it was about. 
that every tongue and every tribe and every nation turn and glorify and worship God. That's good news. It's really good news that this good news is not just about this is what you can do to get from down here up there. And somehow we seem to miss that. Somehow we, th- we seem to think that Christianity is a one-time decision. You're in and you get to go from down here up there. No. Christianity is just as much about getting to experience the life in the kingdom, a life in submission to the Lord, King of all kings, and know the life that he came to bring by daily, moment by moment, making choices to die. Did you realize that? And if, if you were fooled, if you thought it was a one-time thing, then I, as a pastor in the Christian church, I apologize on behalf of the gospel message that you heard. I apologize for what you've understood the gospel to have been. Because the gospel is not a one-time decision. It is a moment-by-moment choice to die to this bios self that wants to steal, kill, and destroy the zoe life that God wants to put inside this biological self. Myself, my pride, my selfish ambitions, steal, kill, and destroy the life that God wants to live inside of me. And the same is true for you. And that's good news to know. Because Jesus paid a price that you can choose to follow after him. Experience the things that he's experienced in overcoming death to experience new life. You see, he changed the rules. We we, before this before this moment, we lived life. And we fought to protect our lives. This is why wars take place. This is why arguments take place. It's for protection. It's so that we can continue on living. So that the bios of who we are is not affected, is not harmed. That we're protecting our children. That we're doing these things to protect this biological life. That we have short-term responsibility toward. And Jesus said, no, I'm adding something to that. There's something new that I'm inviting you to. I'm not inviting you to live life to protect life. I'm inviting you to live your life to die in order to then find life. He lived his life to die, to be resurrected to true life, eternal. And he's inviting you and me to follow that same thing that was modeled for us. That every day we wake up, we find ourselves on a hillside overlooking our Jerusalem. And my question for you this morning is, what is your Jerusalem? What is the thing that you, your bios, yourself, your pride, wants to hold on to and not give away to God? What do you need to keep control of? Here's a real helpful piece. If we recognize... Fears. Fear is primarily an emotion that the Lord gives us that clearly identifies the things in our life that we have not yet trusted him with. Think about that. Fear given by God for the purpose of living in this Zoe life. Fear has this new purpose. Fear is primarily an emotion that the Lord gives us that clearly identifies the things in our life that we have not yet trusted him with. What do you fear? 
What's your Jerusalem? Where are you sitting on a hillside overlooking this place that Christ is saying, will you join me as we go down into the city of death? And if you'll follow me, I'll give you a whole new life. You see, people who are living in with the Zoe life living inside of them and the Zoe life conquering the flesh begin to discover a life apart from fear. It's called freedom. It's this life apart from fear. What does fear have to do with? It has to do with what the effect on my bio self is going to be. But when our hope is in heaven. And our hope is in the reality and in the trueness that God is faithful and he is ever with us and he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And it is to give us life, not to give us death. Then as we choose to trust him, regardless of what our mind or our reason might try to argue, when we choose to trust him, what is there to fear? What is there to fear? What is there to hold on to? What is there to need to control unless you need to be and I need to be in the throne seat of my own kingdom? But Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And that means he sits on the throne and all that we have is entrusted to him. And all that we are left with is a peace and a joy to know this one in my concern. He invites me from freedom to freedom, from being overwhelmed and concerned by what is going to take place in this bios life. Because this life's not about this life. He has so much more in store for you and me. So we find ourselves in this reality that fear can be conquered. Sound like life or sound like death? How eager are you and how much do you need to hold on and control these things that have been fears. Now, I'm not saying that it's necessarily just going to be a snap my fingers, an easy place to say, fear, you're gone. I now trust in God. No. Just as it was not easy for Jesus to walk into Jerusalem and to take the punishment that he did and to have to hang on the cross. But nonetheless, you do not enter in Jerusalem alone. You enter into Jerusalem with Jesus. And as he models this, he knows what this death brings because it also brings life. And he invites you to join him in this journey and in this process. And here's the great thing about it. Jesus had, a, a, who knows, thousands of people around cheering and chanting. Is that we get to enter into Jerusalem when we have this Zoe life, this the spirit of God coming alive inside of us with praise. So the very things that we used to be in complete fear of and that we know that we're moving forward toward and they're not comfortable and we've always tried to avoid these things. We now get to move in with praise and say, I used to have to deal with this on my own. But thank you, Jesus, that you are walking with me into this. And this is not for me to be concerned about. I trust you. And so I praise you that we're walking into this thing that I've always avoided. I praise you, Lord, that you're leading me into this place that might the enemy might want me to think means pain and destruction. Yet you came 
and you want to give me life, and I choose you. The thing that led Jesus into Jerusalem and to the cross was the need for the will of man to have a place to die to itself. This death will be, this death of the will is a surrender of the self and the awakening of the Spirit of God to have dominion of our lives. You cannot live and feed and nourish this Zoe life within you and hold back from things being under the dominion or under the governance of God. He is inviting us to let go. He is inviting us to say the very same thing that he said. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Again, John chapter 12, verse 25. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will be also. My father will honor one who serves me. For now my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It is for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus loves us. He loves us enough to die for us and to give his life that it could be resurrected, that we might have life to the full. He's come from up there to down here so that we can experience the fullness of life now as he is working to restore and redeem his creation. And he loves us enough to invite us into that process. He invites us to be the agents for reconciliation in this world. So he wants to come fully alive within us that we become the ministers of this good news, that life beyond what you have known it, life that is all is all about you. There is something greater. There is something more. And it is beyond this 80 years that we have. There is so much more that God has in store for us that we get to sit with God in heaven and the heavenlies and gaze upon his glory. And we don't even know what that means. All we know is that it will be euphoric and the reality. Reality is, is that he loves us. He wants to pour his life into us. He wants to empower us to love in ways that we can't even know and don't even understand at this point because we haven't tasted that kind of love. But it's that kind of love that he wants us to experience on a daily basis as we're living our lives and feeding this Zoe thing. And he says, come and die. So come and die. And in trusting God, we can say just like Jesus, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? That we can laugh in the face of what the enemy has tried to use since creation of man to sway us to protect ourselves. We can laugh in the face of the enemy when he says, Oh, but what about death? And we ring the bell saying, Oh, come on, bring death. I fly the flag of Christ who is fully alive. And who is coming alive in me. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. That you came to teach us a a way counter to our culture. That you came and you chose the rules. That you don't live life trying not to die. But you live life to die in order to find true life. Thank you, Lord, that you stood over and you looked at Jerusalem. And you stand over and you look at us and you say... Our names over and over. 
And you say, how I have longed to gather your fears and your turmoil and your felt needs and to cover them under my wings. But are you now willing? But are we now willing, Lord? Are we willing to stand on that hillside and look over whatever Jerusalem lies before us, whatever has conquered us in the past, whatever has silenced the voice of the prophets and say, Yes, Lord, let humility usher in your kingdom. He reaches down, takes our hand and pulls us up on this little colt. And he leads us in to Jerusalem, not alone. He leads us with a community of fellow followers who sing praise and lay down palm branches and lay down their clothes All for the King of glory to come and reign. Jesus, lead on. Give us the courage to follow. Help us realize, Lord, this is not simply our fight to fight. But that you are a warring God that ever goes before us. You do not slumber. You do not sleep. We cannot hide from your presence. You are all powerful and you are redeeming this world that you created. So let us die to living for ourselves, Lord, thinking it's all about us. And Lord, let us join your the work of your spirit to be reconcilers of your kingdom. To be bearers of the good news. And to taste and know this love and this life that you came to bring. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.